Soccer, written and narrated by Mark Lingane. Copyright 2014. Episode 12. I jumped up and ran out the door. Spiky was vacuuming the carpet like nothing had happened. Where did you go? He gave me a blank stare. I ain't been anywhere. The two weird ones had obviously slipped the three of us into a parallel dimension. While they were here, the world had continued to spin without us in it. Or maybe Spiky was only playing, saying it to cover a quick smoke with a lemon squeezer man. I sprinted down the corridor and forced him to express me down to the first floor. I ran to the front of the building and asked the doorman which way they had gone. He looked at me blankly. The parallel dimension theory was gaining credibility. I described a sour-faced woman all in black and her towering thin offsider. How could you have missed them? I said. He shook his head. I ran out into the busy sidewalk traffic, then into the road, much to the annoyance of the diesel dim boxes smoking past. A couple honked, a couple swerved. I scanned the sidewalk both ways, then I saw them. Miss Early glanced over her shoulder at the hullabaloo going on in the road. I ducked behind a 35, avoiding her gaze. I moved down the opposite side of the street, tracking them in the crowds. They hitched onto the back of a bus heading towards game, and I jumped onto the following one. Twenty minutes later, they slid off the back and made their way into a deserted old building. Miss Early's confidence ensured they didn't look back. I followed them in, stepping through smashed walls and fallen ceiling beams. Puddles whipped by malfunctioning plumbing were dotted around the broken floor. I could make out their footsteps, two sets winding their way through the debris. They had ventured up a set of stairs that were barely more than a rusted beams held together with the hope of slow decay. I placed my foot on the first step. It crunched under my weight. I wondered how they'd got up without falling through. I stepped carefully on the beams at a point closest to the wall. There was some solidity there and I crept up one step at a time. With a sigh of relief I made it to the top. I made my way out into the remains of the upper floor, following the damn footsteps. I slowed when I heard voices ahead. A deathly quiet enfolded the place. Miss Early's voice pierced the broken spaces echoing around the building, making dust fall from the beams like construction dandruff. I leaned against a wall and a series of pigeons took off, screeching into the air. The voices went quiet. I stood stock still. After an agonizing few moments, they continued. I crept closer. They were hidden behind a short wall. I crept to one end and glanced around the corner. I could see Miss Early in her perpendicular department with Mr. Bird standing to attention, looking at someone in between us. I moved silently to the other end of the wall and glanced around. There was another man standing there anonymously with his back to me. His hands were on his hips like a commander of all he surveyed but without the useful services of actually surveying anything. He wore a crumpled brown jacket and had wiry curly hair. His thick accent gave away who he was, Chief Inspector Rami Watcher. 
I kept my breathing under control, closed my eyes and focused on the conversation. He wasn't any help. Watcher said. He has a ridiculous chip on his shoulder. This was spoken by a voice I didn't recognize, but it was full of annoying ticks and stutters. I assumed the speaker was Mr. Bird. What about the money? He didn't accept it. Mrs. Early said. Give it back to me. I'll return it to the evidence store. Those stupid internal audit fools are always checking it out now. It's much easier in the old days. A fattened and diseased pigeon with a disfiguring growth on its foot waddled up to me and started to peck at my shoe. I kicked it away. It took to the skies and flapped out through one of the many holes in the rusted steel roof. I shrank behind the wall. I heard footsteps and braced for a fight. Let's get out of here. I never liked this part of town. Watcher said. I heard the footsteps retreat and diminish into silence which wrapped around me. My heart rate eventually descended out of the stratosphere. I scouted the area. There wasn't much to see beyond muddy footprints and a few bird seeds. The glint of something caught my eye. I squatted down and found a small golden cross with an even smaller deity attached to it. There was a deep growl behind me. I turned slowly to face a big black dog. Who's a good boy? I tried to say in strong, deep and commanding tones. It growled at me, baring its fangs. They were long and dark. They had seen a lot of meat. I hoped it hadn't been human. No voice would be strong, deep and commanding enough for this creature. Its sleek, shiny coat stretched across its enormous lean muscles. Every inch of it was a deep black. It would be impossible to see at night. I reminded myself to never go out in the dark again. Set against its dark hair was a pair of red eyes filled with malevolent intelligence. It was a hound straight from hell. I moved. Its muscles flexed like silk and it moved in complete silence. It stalked around me. I scanned the area for the fastest exit. I could only see one way out and it was gonna hurt. But hurting was better than being eaten alive. I faked a quick movement to the right. The dog intercepted me with a low growl. I twisted back and gave it a kick into its side, turned and sprinted towards the wall. It was decayed beyond any use and I smashed right through it, with a hellhound snapping at my heels. I plummeted to the sidewalk below. The hound stopped short of the following me into the abyss. It was a surprise to land on Jamoke Man, although not as surprising as it was for him. He looked up at the hole in the second story wall. Next time you want to drop in, let me know in advance, maybe in writing. Besides ruining his suit, I had to buy all the coffees I'd managed to spill. The sentry came in handy and Jamoke Man had the best day sales ever. If you wanted a cup of joe so bad, you should have called. He gave me an expression hidden up between damaged merchandise and light-hearted humor. Did you see two people? I described Bird and Early. He shook his head. These two were slippier than a basket of snakes in monsoon season. The fall had knocked the small gold cross out of my hand, but I caught its glint and retrieved it from its precarious position above a storm drain. I gave it a polish on my sleeve and stared at it. You giving me more gold? I bought a house with the last door handle. I'll keep this one. I've seen those before. He took it out of my hands without so much as a free cup and twisted it around. He sat down on the sidewalk for a moment lost in thought. Eventually he came out of it with a snap of his fingers like he'd woken up from a trance. Those skinny blonde hookers collect these, he said. 
handing it back. It was in one of those nests a long time ago, and I saw a whole pile of them. I still had a few hours before the city hit second gear, stuttering out of its bleary-eyed reveille and coming alive. I headed back to my office with a complimentary half-cup from Jamokman. This was developing into a non-unilateral exchange. When I got back to the office, Lemon Squeezer Man gave me a familiar nod, half tranced by the smell of the fresh beans. My office door was open. I locked in at the turmoil inside. The first thing I checked was the gold record. It was still safely hidden under the floorboards. I spent the next hour cleaning up the office and fixing the lock. I made a note to get a new one. Finally, I sat down at the desk with a fresh cup of coffee and examined the gold record in its exalted frame of prominence. Another little clue that we had all craved popularity. I often wondered why we were so driven by a desire for acceptance. It was like something tragic had happened in human evolution and we were all afraid of being left alone, abandoned on the beaches of life. Animals handled it all the time. Humans, the exact opposite. I looked at the title of the song, Looking for Love. You had to laugh. The frame looked solid enough and the record was stuck on a good and strong. I flipped the frame around and looked at the back. Fresh scratch marks around the screws meant they had recently been delicately extracted with uncommon finesse and replaced. I searched through my desk drawer until I found a screwdriver. I gently took out the tiny golden screws, laying them neatly on the desk in a row. There was nothing inside except the record and some flecks of dirt and lumps of poorly applied paint. I held my breath and flipped the record over. The reverse side was blank, just a plain black vinyl record. There wasn't even any writing. I exhaled. I ran my hand over it, but there was nothing. I ran my hand over the inside of the frame. There was nothing. I sat looking at the collection of pieces in front of me, drumming my fingers on the desk. The record was lying flat in the desk. There was nothing under the label, no mysterious lumps except for the dust. I ran my hand over the dust to wipe it clean. The dust didn't move. I took a closer look at the front of the record. All the lumps of dried paint were the same size and shape. I took a closer look. They weren't lumps of paint, they were seeds. Seeds of truth, Jorgen had said. I spent an hour looking at those seeds, searching for a pattern or clue. The sun rose and slipped in through the window. I gave up. I threw the record on the desk and stared out the window. A couple of mouthfuls of tepid Joe didn't help. A bird flew past the window, casting a shadow over the desk. I glanced back at the record, hoping for a moment or at least a seed of truth. The seeds were casting shallow shadows over the record's surface. Something odd caught my attention with some of the outer seeds. I twisted the record slowly. The shadows stretched and spun until some, in certain fashion, formed the shape of an elongated number. I picked up the record and looked along the flat edge. I tilted it slowly. I rotated the disc and before my eyes the seeds lined up, making a number. A phone number. I picked up the receiver and dialed. It rang and it was answered by an early morning voice. I hung up. It was Angelina.
The phone rang. I gave it a dirty look, but it didn't get the message. I tried to ignore it by drawing mustaches on the photographs on page one of the paper, but curiosity was always gonna win. Curiosity sat everywhere lately, in every person I'd met, to every place I'd been. An undeniable veil of obfuscation and complication lay over every move, every word, and every breath. I wouldn't answer the damn phone. I picked up the receiver. Yeah. Hey, Boyo, I got a report here that says you are at 667 Templeton. Watcher. Alarm bells rang in my head. This was one yellow brick road I had to tread down carefully. Thought I'd visit the place and see what all the commotion was about. I didn't recommend it as a vacation destination. What was your reason for being in the area? A client asked me. I glanced out through the blinds to the street below. Someone was standing by the corner phone box. I squinted but couldn't make out much beyond the brown clothes the person was wearing. A diesel dim box pulled up at the curb and a woman stepped out carrying several boxes. Did your sneaking ways find anything? Watcher said, nothing but blind neighbors. I muttered. Do you know anything about this landlord, this phoenix guy? There was a hint of inquisition in Watcher's line, like he was being force-fed the question. Not much, he runs fast. No mistake there. He let out a light chuckle. I've done my fair share of chasing the madman. Why are you calling? To see if you know anything. You guys don't use P.I.s. Times are changing, my friend. We're looking for a competitive edge. Against who? I hung up and grimaced at the receiver. I glanced back out the window. The person at the phone box hailed a diesel dim box and kicked off the curb. Despite what Watcher had said, I knew that nothing ever changed with those bureaucratic blimps in case they lost their pensions and ancillary benefits. He was sniffing around after something. Something he thought only I knew. If only I knew. I left the office, slamming the door behind me. Angelina's little shop was quiet. I flicked aside the sign on the front. The door was unlocked after I'd applied the Remington pick lock. I opened it slowly, reaching up and muffled the small bell. I stepped into the room. I had a quick look at some of the items on the shelves. Flipping over a small totem revealed the Sandalfoot Plastics Manufacturing Company had made the item. The same went for the other artifacts on the shelves. Mystery by catalog. Or maybe just another woman with an illusion to peddle, a net to cast, a veil to drop, a trick to sell. I made my way through the small entrance at the back of the shop that was closed off by a couple of draped black curtains. Angelina was absorbed in grinding herbs or similar. She had a book open and appeared to be reading a recipe. She turned the page and read on, oblivious to the world beyond her table. There was a steaming cup beside her. You know Hugh Jorgen. My voice caught her as she was lifting the cup to her mouth. She froze mid-raise. Her eyes darted from me to a grey metallic piece in the corner, too far to grab and back to me. I'm not sure how to answer that. Was it a question or an accusation? He had your number. She lowered the cup. She looked at me thoughtfully, not as a predator this time, but as a witness. Then she made up her mind. I have no idea what you're talking about. Don't lie to me. I stepped closer. She stood up with lightning speed and launched for her contraband gun. I grabbed her wrist before she had it in her clutches. She struggled with surprise and strength trying to stamp down on my foot, but she was too slow and obvious. 
Is this how you treat all your women? Rough them up to have your way with them? I couldn't tell if it was an accusation or some deep-seated fantasy, but she was so tormented I wasn't about to play Russian roulette with a tank load of rattlesnakes as crazy as a month-old Bolognese. I don't have any women. I pocketed the piece and let her go. She rubbed her wrist and gave me a dark look. He left another number. I handed over the number I had hastily scrawled down. I have no idea what it is, she said, dismissing the paper. Why did he call? She let out a theatrical sigh which fitted with her current behavior. Maybe he was lonely. Maybe he just wanted comfy, someone to while away the afternoon with. You of all people. You liked me, I seem to recall. At gunpoint. But it didn't stop you, did it? Maybe there is something between us. I find myself having funny thoughts when you are near me. She stepped in close and I could feel the heat of her mouth as she hovered in front of me, hardly an inch away. It wouldn't take much and we would be touching. I could also feel her hand making its way into my pocket after the piece. I removed her hand. That was nothing to do with me. I said. The slap left my ears ringing, but I'd had worse. Did that hurt? She whispered. I shrugged. If you want. She brought around her other hand and opened it in front of me. Some of the ground herbs lay in her palm. She pursed her lips into a bright red O and blue. I coughed. My head spun and the whole world exited stage right. I took a couple of staggering steps, lunging out from the wall for support and missing. I collapsed to the floor and darkness closed over me. I came to and felt rope bonds holding me in place, the thin binding cutting into my chest. I couldn't tell how long I'd been out because the room was in near darkness, with complete separation from the outside. There could be an apocalypse going on and no one would ever know in here, cool and quiet. Would you like a drink? Came Angelina's voice. Yeah. It was probably still early in the morning, but when you're faced with the sheriff of Crazy Town, you generally ride along. Are you a straight man, or do you like to mix it? Straight. Of course, I bet you're as straight as they come. There's easy ways of dating. She sat down on my lap, straddling me like a Clydesdale. She held the drink in front of me, twisting and letting the minimal light bounce off the ice. Her fingers ran over my chest, tracing the outline of my muscles. She swept back her cloak, revealing bare legs. I could see that the rest of her was also bare. She leaned forward, revealing the whole Lady Godiver act, and whispered in my ear. I'm exhausted, so worn out, so very tired. It all has to end. Then she poured the drink over my chest. Nothing spoiled the mood faster than a wasted drink. I watched the liquid run off onto the floor and noticed the strange marking surrounding me. The familiar five-pointed star had been drawn around me in white. It smells suspiciously like raw garlic, but in the dark you can never be sure, which is why restaurants have their lights so dim. Why did you do that? Sterilization! She hissed. Her face took on residency from a demented fairy. She raised a knife. I could only guess where she'd hidden it and stabbed it into my chest. It was a shallow wound, but it still stung, especially when she twisted it. But I kept my nerve and stared straight back at her. She focused on the knife, extracting it and stepping away, balancing a few drops of blood on its tip. 
She ripped a dark sheet off a plinth to my left. It held a small bowl suspended over a tiny burner. She shook the drops of blood into the bowl and fired up the burner. The smell of paraffin drifted around the room. She stared intently at the bowl. After a minute, it exploded and sent a small green cloud into the air. The flickering flames cast an eerie light over her face, the green plume tinging her features with the color. A cackle would have fitted right in about now. She stood there looking slightly confused until the flames died down, then returned her focus to me. With an exaggerated air of theater, she lifted up a large cleaver from a lower shelf on the pedestal. Her face was dark and distant. The chopper was heavy in her hand and her arm flexed with the weight of it. At least it wasn't one of those red 18-inch blades, which meant she wasn't one of them. But that didn't mean she was right in the head. Her eyes sparkled in the light reflecting of unknown intent, at least unknown to me. Possibly it was just desire or ambition. Her gait was slow and steady, marched to some inner beat. Each slow step revealed a bare leg, smooth, silken, and untouched, except for once. Then the fabric claimed it back into seclusion. A ceremonial march led her around behind me. She took a deep breath. Letting out a guttural cry, she lifted the cleaver and brought it down.